I'm calling London. Hello, Matt Malone. I'd like to speak to someone in charge of Grove's Dictionary of Music and Musicians, please. I can transfer... To try to find out why Michael Rabin is not listed in the 20-volume New Grove Dictionary of Music and Musicians, the source for musical biographical research. We form a team of advisors. Michael Rabin is just not a familiar name these days. At one time, the name was everywhere. He was both a great violinist and a sensation and his earliest recordings are now newly available on CD. It was Michael Rabin's prodigious talent that first captured the world's imagination. At his concert debut in 1947 in Cuba, of all places, he was not quite 11 years old. He'd made his way to Carnegie Hall by the time he was 13 and was soon accepted as an established performer. The hallmark of Rabin's playing was a really quite distinctive richness of tone, most often described as lush or even voluptuous. Itzhak Perlman, nine years his junior and a young violin student, was bowled over the first time he heard Rabin play. I think I was 10 or 11 years old, and I was living in Israel, and he came to play with Israel Philharmonic, and he did the Paganini Concerto. And I said, my God, I couldn't believe that, because that was phenomenal fiddle playing. He was truly a violinist in the grand tradition. And of course, technically, he was awesome. You know, he never reached for anything he was. He had so much uh, in reserve. And as a result, there was an easiness and a, and a, and a security and, then of course, a, a total virtuosity, you know, I mean, brilliance. I don't want to call it old-fashioned, but it was old-fashioned in, in a wonderful sense. What is meant by old-fashioned in this context? One thing it can mean is a more virtuosic, less reverential approach to the music. For example, here's a current Bach performance by another violinist. And here's Rabin's recording from 1955. Perlman took Rabin's style very much to heart. As a kid, I played the Wieniawski uh, uh, first violin concerto in F-sharp minor, and, and, and he has this absolutely wonderful recording of that piece, and uh, which influenced me, too, you know, and every time I would think of phrases that he would play and so on, it would always be in my head. You know? Many of Rabin's recordings have been around for some time. But it is now possible to hear exactly what it was in 1950 that some envious, struggling young violinists and an unsuspecting public heard when Michael Rabin made his debut recording at age 14. What they heard was this. And this.
Voluptuous is the word for it. If you get hooked on Rabin's powerful, dreamy playing, and you might, there are many other wonders also available recorded when Rabin was in his late teens and early 20s. His Scottish fantasy bruch was wonderful, and of course uh, the way he played the horrible staccato, or the horror staccato, it was called the horrible staccato. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, amazing the way he played that. And then, of course, he has a wonderful edition of the Masne uh, uh, meditation from Thais. So you can hear these early recordings, and some of the later ones as well. But you cannot hear late Rabin recordings, because, well, there are no late Rabin recordings. He is one of those tragic cases, Michael Rabin. He is said to have lost interest in the violin after a time, and, following his meteoric rise, had a sharp decline. He had painful personal problems, they say, and the quality of his playing changed after age 25. Perlman remembers a moment of clarity. The last concert that I went to hear him play, that wonderful, brilliant sound and, and, and the way he played was beginning to come back. And I was very, very happy because he was going through a, through a tough patch there for a while and things were beginning to look up. And uh, I think shortly thereafter, he fortunately passed away. January 19, 1972. Rabin was found dead at age 35 in his apartment in New York. The official document claimed natural causes had taken his life. Some thought he had taken his own life. His teacher and friends felt he would never have done so at this optimistic moment and that he had died accidentally. Michael Rabin's early death, unlike the deaths of Dinu Lepati and Jacqueline Dupre or William Capel, for example, seems not to have guaranteed him the cult status that often accompanies such tragedies. Perhaps because he had difficulties a decade before his early demise, never really settling into a mature career, his name is still unknown to many music lovers. And there is this matter of his omission from the New Grove 6th edition. Well, I'm afraid um, I've only been working here since 1995. So, yes. um, uh, I mean, it, it is quite a long time ago now, of course, and criteria have changed yes. a lot. Uh, but, uh, if it was an oversight, let us not make the same mistake. He had a really particular style, you know, of playing. Sometimes you hear fiddlers play, and, and then you say, wonderful but generic. Michael was not generic. Michael was a very individual kind of a player. Michael Rabin, born 1936, died 1972. His debut recordings are now available in a limited edition CD entitled Michael Rabin, The Early Years, part of the Masterworks Heritage series on the Sony Classical label. And there is the boxed set of six CDs of his recordings from the late 50s on the Angel EMI label. His playing can also be heard in the soundtrack of the film Rhapsody. For WNYC, I'm Sarah Fishko.
On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed in garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers.